Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. everybody to another edition of Cryptocurrents Aftershock, where we connect you to what's going on in the wild world of Web3. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon, or at least we so we hope. Richard, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, did a whole lot of moving in a new place with new Wi-Fi. So trying to get all that situated. Hopefully, I don't spaz out and hopefully we get all that figured out. But other than that, you know, another interesting week in crypto, uh, but a lot of things to unpack today. How about to you, Steve? How are you doing? No question, man. I am thinking a lot about how it was just a blur of a week last week in terms of the news, but I am looking forward to seeing what we have ahead of us in the next week. But before we go any further, I want to make sure that our friends at home know that we do this show over on YouTube as well as on every one of your favorite podcast platforms. So make sure that you are following and subscribing wherever you get your favorite podcasts or over on YouTube. Um, before we jump into things today, I do want to make sure that I remind everybody that we do have a bunch of brand new content coming out every single week over on crypto-current.co, um, where you can get the latest in editorial content from our editorial team. But we are going to just jump ahead, right ahead into things with this week's Aftershock. The Aftershock. So in this week's Web3 lightning round, we got some quick stories for you that we're going to run through and just get you caught up. At the top, we've got this official statement coming out, really clarifying that what was going on over at Celsius does, in fact, unfortunately, seem like it was a Ponzi scheme. So according to a New York Supreme Court filing across the last week from a company known as KeyFi against Celsius, they, quoted, they were quoted in the filing that faced with a liquidity crisis, Celsius began to offer double-digit interest rates in order to lure new depositors whose funds were used to repay earlier depositors and creditors. Pretty much, point blank, the definition of a Ponzi. But it does go a little bit further because KeyFi, as it turns out, is actually run by one of the most prominent members of the mutant ape community, which is the mega, mega mutant 0xB1 who detailed the entire situation behind what's going on with their conflict with Celsius in an entire tweet thread. So I encourage you, if you want to learn more about this, go over to 0x underscore B1 on Twitter and read up a little bit more on it. But Richard, what is your read on this? What do you think of this case and what it means for Celsius in the long term? 
if the facts presented in this case are true, which again, at this point, it's a legal case. They have to figure it out. This is, this is bad. This is not great. Um, the actual definition of a Ponzi scheme, like you said, it's not great for just the entire community of like, what does it mean to be part of these high interest rate DeFi plays, which is why, you know, decentralized finance and large APYs is attractive to all these potential investors and whatnot. But it's also begs the question, which has come up multiple times of like, how are they able to offer these high APY interests? And to do it initially, you might have like this giant like box of these extra funds that you're going to use to pay out these people that are coming in. But the real challenge is to keep those up. If you don't constantly have new money coming in, then technically the new money coming in might be paying out people who originally got in to get cashed out. And you mix that with what happened with uh, three arrows, defaulting on loans and people being over leveraged and all this other kind of stuff. You have a recipe for disaster. And this is just really unfortunate. And man, I this this sucks. There's no way to like make light on this, right? It, this is an ugly story, especially after everything with three arrows. You kind of would think like the market would get some type of reprieve. We talked about it last week too. This is not going to end until all of the people who are over leveraged are fully washed out. So unfortunately, we're going to continue to ride that wave for a little bit more. Uh, but let's jump into this next story and see what else is going on in the world of Web3 right now. This is an interesting one in the um, aftermath of Terra's meltdown. So the CEO of Polygon Studios has come out and said formally now that 48 Terra projects are currently migrating to Polygon. Do you think this is the first of a mass migration from other networks as well to Polygon? Because another piece that just started coming out is there's now a massive suit accusing Solana of being a security. So I think there's an opportunity for Polygon, at least from my perspective, to really become a central hub for more of these projects. What do you think? I agree. I mean, Polygon works really well. The, the, the biggest challenge that I see with Polygon is just for most people to get over and use the Polygon services is an initial hurdle. Uh, there's not a really quick and user-friendly onboarding tool. Yes, there's uh, the Polygon bridge where you can come in, bring your ETH, convert it over to Polygon, and then like start working in their ecosystem. Sure. But once you're on it, amazing. Fast, cheap all the great things to for a recipe for success. To get to that point though, there is a hurdle. So I think if they continue to make that onboarding a lot more easy and that user experience a lot more seamless, they easily could continue to take a ton of market share and get more and more of these projects starting to get built on it. Um, a lot of the companies that we're seeing over at CryptoCurrent um, are reoccurringly being built on top of Polygon. So it doesn't surprise me that the Terra Luna projects that we're building over there are are choosing uh, Terra. I mean, are, are choosing Polygon as their go-to choice. Well, my hope is that we start to see more people transitioning over onto different networks like Polygon. But time will tell ultimately what you know which layer two solutions end up winning out. But let's jump into the final story in the Web three lightning round, um, which is again calling back to Three Arrows Capital. This one, I think, is probably the worst news of the week. Um, For sure. We are at the point where within this entire capital crisis that we've got within crypto, where you have all the over-leveraged players, whether it's from the Terra fallout 
or just the overall over leveraging the market fallout. It all came to a head against so many different players. And I think three eras is probably the biggest of them. And you're going to see a lot more people, you know, out in the wind, just kind of floating for a minute here. But the legal team for three eras capital, which is asset dash, apparently is officially claiming that the whereabouts of the founding team is currently unknown. I hate to say it, but like this is especially looking bad on the part of their um, founder, uh, which is, I always mess this up because I, I, I think that it's the, the CEO from Animoca Brands. Anyway, the, fa- the fact that it's the entire founding team, it looks bad. It looks really bad. Um, yeah, it, this is just going to get worse and worse and worse, unfortunately. Um, it is worth mentioning, though, that a lot of these teams that are currently under big question, they have significant legal teams behind them now. And even in the case of Celsius, they're right now restructuring um, using a specific firm that is specifically designed to help restructure firms that have had massive fallout like this. So I think Celsius still has a chance. Three arrows, not so much. Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to be bad. Yeah. It's and again, not, that's, that's the, legal t- the, the legal team saying like, yeah, we don't really know where our clients are. Ah, uh, man, that's, that's just such a bad look. But I mean, do you think that it's... Do you think it's that they really don't know or do you think it's that they're saying that because ultimately they know that they've pissed off so many people out there that those people probably have to fear for their lives. I mean, it could be the latter. They could just say, we know where our clients are, but we are choosing to not disclose that. That's, you know, I'm gonna say that's, that's lawyer client privilege. So exactly. Yeah. I'm going to go with, they don't know where they are and they're just trying to dodge the law, but <laughs> Hey, that's uh that's web three for you. Um, according to most regulators, but I'm not going to cave on that just yet. I think that there's still a lot of good in this space. Speaking of which, good in the space. Last week in the metaverse, we've got a lot of really great content around the metaverse and augmented reality and NFTs to cover today. And the first of which is this story from the Flow blockchain. So Flow has officially deployed their permissionless smart contract deployment to its mainnet. This means that no longer do you have to run things through testnet. You can deploy straight to the uh, Flow mainnet and or you don't need... Um, approval of Flow moderators to launch onto Flow. Big step forward, definitely a more trustless environment. Um, but what do you think of Flow? Because I think it's probably one of the more underrated chains right now in terms of NFTs, but I think it's got a lot of promise and I'm interested in your take. I think so as well. From the web, from the people that I know that are building on top of this, they have nothing but great things to say. Like they are. If you meet someone who's building in this environment, they are very adamant and they're very passionate about building on Flow. And they say just how easy it is uh, to be able to, to build on it. So because of that, you know, everyone always is in love typically with the ecosystems or, or underlying technology that they're building on top of. Some not so much when you're doing with like Web2 and you have to use certain protocols. But like, again, people that I've spoken with with Flow are... are pretty adamant about like how awesome it is. I hate to make the uh, direct comparison, but I'm just going to lean into it because I know that I have been guilty of being a Cardano fanboy like in the past, but that is really starting to become the clearest comparison. When people are raving fans of a L1 blockchain, they don't ease up. 
at all, ever, until the price like falls to you know ninety percent of the all time high. But that's a different story for a different day. In this case, I think Flow is starting to garner that type of love and fan attention that they're going to be um, very long for this space. I'm really looking forward to seeing what else comes from the Flow blockchain in the future. Our next story comes from ENS, otherwise known as the Ethereum Name Service. Now, just for our friends at home who may not know about ENS, Richard, can you give me a quick explanation, just like less than 30 seconds, what ENS is? So when you send something to an Ethereum address, it's a pretty long amount of characters that it's sent to, I believe somewhere between like 24 and 30 something. Now, instead of doing that, if you want to make it as simple as the word air, so it'd be air.eth. That's all you have to send it to. So super small, super quick. You can make a quick, short thing that you can send and it would take the place of a super long um, Ethereum um, address. Perfect. So that basically sums up what ENS is and why it's so useful. Now that you understand that, you'll understand that at the same time, the NFT space right now, because they sell these domains as NFTs, the rest of the market is down. However, ENS domains have officially surged by 200% in terms of registrations over the last couple of weeks. And the bull run is still going for ENS registrations and ENS domains because they just sold 000.eth for 300ETH. That's um, insane. Some of the number games that you can play in the ENS domains world, it's really, really remarkable um, because. You have to think of it this way. You have so many collections out there of 10K PFPs. So just 10,000 profile pics of Bored Apes or of Cool Cats or of on-chain monkeys and all that type of stuff. And when you think about it, you have a number that's identified to that specific monkey. So if that's the case across a number of different collections, the person who owns 000.eth could go and license a subdomain or BAYC or B-A-Y-C dot zero 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 dot ETH associated directly with Board Ape Yacht Club zero zero zero. Or, you know, I mean, it, the, the options are really limitless on it, but this specific domain was at a massive premium and it sold on secondary market. It's pretty cool when that sort of thing happens. And I'm really, I'm really, really hopeful for what ENS is going to bring to the market in the future. Because I don't see any true mainstream adopter accepting the wallet naming mechanisms and the wallet um, string as it is right now. Your public address is unusable. This, this presents opportunity. So, I mean, yeah. I know that you have your own um, ENS and one day you'll be able to finally get Carthon.eth from whoever has that. <laughs> one day. Uh, but I know for sure that I'm never going to get my hands on Miller.eth. I've, I've kind of caved on that one. That one's water under the bridge. Uh, but let's move on to our next story. Our next story in the metaverse this week comes from Teller. Now, you may be asking yourself, Teller, I thought that was a DeFi protocol. The answer is yes, that is absolutely true. But this week, the DeFi protocol Teller is moving into the NFT space. Richard, can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so what Teller's trying to do is allow you to uh, buy an NFT by basically putting like down a down payment and they're going to front the rest of the money so that you can have that NFT and then you can pay it off over time. So 
there have been a lot of things in, in regular Web2 uh, companies where they're allowing for a lot of people to buy now and pay later. later. Uh, almost like a, if you're familiar with how a credit card works, where you literally are given a credit limit where you can go buy, let's say, you know, most people when they first start out get a $1,000, $2,000 credit limit. For simplicity, let's call it $1,000. So if you want to go buy an NFT right now that costs $1,000 to max out your credit, what they would probably say is, you know, give us 100 bucks. And then you basically have this lot of credit for $900. And you're going to pay that off over X amount of time plus interest. And so what they've done is create this DeFi protocol for the NFT space. I think it's really interesting because it, to me, mirrors what's going on in like car financing. Right. Like you can go in and you can get a car for like a specific down payment and then pay it off by, you know, monthly or quarterly payments going forward. This gives you that opportunity as well. And now, my, my big question with this that I don't have the answer to just yet is what do those terms look like? Because ultimately, Teller isn't asking you for like your credit. Right. It's not like that. But what's kind of wild about this to me is that they're not looking for any of your past credit history or if like you're a fraudulent user at all. They don't care who you are because it's all in the blockchain to them. If you default, ultimately, I think the contract will pull that NFT back over into their um, possession. But what's interesting is that all of the collections that they're supporting right on the launch of this, this Ape Now Pay Later service, they're all blue chips. So you've got Board Ape, you've got uh, the rest of the board eight properties like Mutant Ape Yacht Club, other side deeds. Um, I believe you've got Clonex. You have Cool Cats. Like there's, it's all of the biggest projects that are already you know integrated into the service. And I can see a lot of people taking advantage of this, but it's all going to depend to me on how long the financing really looks on paper or on chain. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, would you if you were put in the position where you're like, okay, I can. I can do a down payment of five ETH to get my hands on a board ape, and all I have to do is pay one ETH for the next per month for the next fifty years. Would you take oh, that? If, if they have those terms, absolutely. Will someone would they give that long of a contract? I seriously doubt it because they would have to be sitting on so much money. And then the other thing I'm I'm also curious about too is okay, let's say that they buy this NFT, right? Do they keep it in their possession until it's fully paid off? Because for example, like you brought up the car example, when you buy a car, even though that's your car, they don't give you the like actual like notice of of like the the ownership of that car until it's finally paid off, right? Like you you don't have the title of that car until it's paid off. So will the same thing happen in this NFT where let's say you you buy a board ape uh for a hundred ETH and you'll have to put Five ETH down, and I owe ninety five. So if you miss a payment, or if you're late fifteen days, or whatever it is, and you miss two payments, do they automatically keep all that money and yank that NFT back? And now they can go back and try to do it again. Like, dude, there's so many questions that I have, but all the same, I think it provides a unique opportunity for people to start being able to get some of these higher profile type of blue chip NFTs at a more affordable cost. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. And I'm glad to see that they're now pushing the boundaries of what's possible within the space. Um, but it it's different, man. I, I I was not expecting us to see this yet. And I hope that there is clawback in the way that smart contract's written to where like they can claw back on the NFT if like you miss a payment. But 
yeah, I, I don't really understand how that would work because I don't think it would work if it stayed in their possession. Um, that bit wouldn't make a ton of sense to me. But time will tell and we will... Time will tell her. Yep, I'm making dad jokes. Anyway, um, time will tell and we will keep you posted on this one as we move forward. In our second to last story, this is, I would say, my favorite story of the week because it's really brand new territory. So the company Artifact, who is behind the Clone X series of NFTs, they have officially relinquished full commercial rights and all of the 3D asset files for these Clone X um, properties to the holders. Why is this a big deal? Well, Artifact, if you are not you know, recalling at the, at the current moment, got acquired about eight months ago or six months. Wait, what month is it? Geo, wow. Yeah, a little more than eight months ago now. Sorry, time is insane. A little more than eight months ago, they got acquired by Nike, which is notorious for basically controlling their IP with an iron fist, right? They don't want anybody to make knockoff Jordans. They don't want anybody to make knockoff Zoom Airs. Like, none of it. They don't have it. Now that they have Artifact, they have the opportunity to put out stuff like monoliths and all this other stuff that's been really, really well accepted by the market. But these Clone X NFTs were released just before that acquisition. And now they're actually relinquishing the full commercial rights so that the holders can do what they want with those Clone X NFTs. I think that's incredible because that is unprecedented for a Nike property. They don't do that. So I think that we're going to start seeing an IP revolution take hold here shortly. And I have a feeling that this, this entire story with Clone X is going to be one of the pillars of that revolution. But you and I both studied you know, business law in college. I'm curious what you think about this because the rights element of this is, a, is what makes it super interesting. Yeah. So if you own one of these and technically you can use Nike's branding or whatever, and let's say you want to do a spinoff show and someone picks up those rights, you can do that. And you get to earn all the money. You have to have no clawback. You have full rights to do whatever you want. And like you said, Nike doesn't do that. They really don't. So I'm curious if they're just like, hey, this whole NFT thing's new. Let's just explore and see what happens. Let's see how creative people can get. And I think this is probably the approach that they're taking. They're like, look, we, we have to be able to keep on RE. We have to see what is it that our clients or our, our customers want and, and, and see how it's received. Because if this does well and they're able to make a significant amount of money from it, they'll explore doing this in another fashion. So uh, why not doing it in this exploratory thing called NFTs? Yeah, I, I'm really blown away by this still. Like, I mean, you, if you're viewing on YouTube and you see our you know, little visual aid that we have for this specific story, you'll see that there's the Nike swoosh on the Clone X um, clothing, that, you know, the clothing that the Clone X um, NFT is wearing. That is not the case in the normal Clone X collection. So it's not like Nike is signing over full commercial rights for the use of like their logo, for example. This is specific to each individual NFT and the traits that that NFT actually has. So I'm really curious what that's going to mean because when you relinquish full commercial rights, it leaves everything to the imagination. You can use it for whatever you want, right? And this is something like... This is a family-friendly show. Like I don't want to go down that path too hard. But 
I mean, just think about, you know, the food and beverage industry for one. If you wanted to put your Clone X, if you owned a Clone X NFT onto a beer can and brand that specific beer, a Clone X beer, you now have the ability to do that if you own that NFT. I think that presents a huge opportunity. But there are going to be certain instances where I think Artifact and Nike are going to see the use of these Clone X NFTs in ways that they don't want them used, right? So maybe yeah. they don't want their brands associated with, you know, alcohol and beer, right? That's just the one example. Now I don't think they have a case to go after the holder of that Clone X with like DMCA notice to like take it down or to like immediately cease and desist. I don't think they have the right to do that now. Um, so I'm curious because that's just one example of it, what this really means for the IP landscape going forward, but we'll keep you posted and updated on it. Now for our final story in last week in the metaverse for this week, um, we're finally talking about Cardano NFTs. I wasn't sure when the day would come. But I know that a lot of people love Cardano NFTs. And on the Cardano blockchain, there is one big time marketplace that they use that I always laugh at because it just it feels silly, but it's their equivalent of OpenSea. It's called JPEG Store. <laughs> yes, JPG.store. And apparently it's now being taken seriously enough as opposed to its normal, you know, branding and namesake that they have successfully integrated with MoonPay. That means that you can now purchase ADA with your credit card directly into your Cardano wallet right on jpeg.store. This is going to open up a lot of capital inflow for people who are interested in Cardano NFTs. I got to tell you, I think that there's some interesting stuff going on over there. And at the very least, very little of what you see over on the Cardano NFT ecosystem is mirroring that of Ethereum. That's the interesting thing to me. Because if you look at the Solana blockchain, you look at all the NFTs that have been rolling out on Solana, a lot of them are just ripoffs of everything that's on Ethereum. So you have people that are actually being creative over on the Cardano blockchain. They're doing stuff that's original. It's not just ripping off other collections. I think that's pretty interesting. But what is your take on this? Is this really going to be another thing that gives Cardano a leg up in a time of need? Cardano is a slow and steady ecosystem. They are rolling out things very slowly, but I think they're trying to be methodical on making sure what comes out can hold up. I personally am excited to go check out and see what this store is like. Um, the fact that I can potentially be able to purchase things without having to own Cardano um, and can do it straight from a credit card and everything else makes me more prone to get exposure into it. Um, but also, as I look across at some of these you know, competitive NFT marketplaces, right? So you have marketplaces being built on Cardano, Solana, I think like Hedera Hashgraph, I think Cosmos is building something. You're, you're, each of these ecosystems are now trying to get these NFT plays. And now's the time to be doing that because ultimately there's a whole lot of market share and a whole lot of land grab that exists in the NFT space. It's predominantly being dominated by um, Ethereum. 
And it doesn't mean that it will be that way forever, especially as uh, when the NFT market was super hot, the amount of money you would have to spend just to make the transaction go through. I know we're not talking about that a lot right now because gas fees are low. And so people are excited about that. But man, at the peak of last year, I remember there was a time when I considered minting something and to mint it cost 5x, 5x the mint price. So until that consistently is a problem that is solved on Ethereum blockchain, which how can you solve it until they go to proof of stake? If they continue to do uh, proof of work as it is and things pick back up and the uh, system gets jammed up again, you're going to run into that issue again. And then that's when you're really going to see more and more people say, forget this, I'm not spending all this money to create and to spend money to buy something on, on top of buying something, right? So like, imagine going to the gas station and you put in $10 worth of gas, but they're saying, hey, it's going to be $20 for you to pay me this $10. You would, you would be infuriated, right? So and, until that's solved, there's an opportunity. And Cardano is taking it. I think JPEG store sounds like it could be a really unique opportunity. So I'm a, I know I'm going to personally go check that out. And see, this is a great example of things being like, you know, time is, time is always a factor. And in the NFT world, you lose track of like when things really happened. I mean, and this happened when I was reporting on the artifact story. But Richard, you're talking about like when the market was at its peak and that, that was when like the gas prices were insane. We're three months removed from the other side land sale. It hasn't even been like last year. That was when we were seeing um, gas gas prices were up around five thousand to eight thousand guay for an hour. <laughs> Insane, right? So like, it's really incredible. But I think that the interesting thing here that I think we should be taking away from this story and a lot of like the overarching themes that you and I talk about here pretty regularly is that each of these networks and each of these solutions, whether they're dApps or L1 blockchains or scaling solutions, they're all evolving at their own pace because of the way they're engineered from the top down, right? Vitalik wanted to move fast and break things and then fix things. Charles over at Cardano really wants to make sure that when they roll something out, that it's ready to be rolled out. They do all sorts of research behind the the scenes. It's all math and science before they ever roll out new feature sets. I, I think both have like merit and I, I don't think there's a wrong party in it. But you look at what it's taken so far to fix Ethereum to get to proof of stake and it kind of, to me, evens the playing field further, right? I think that slow and steady will ultimately win the race at the end, at the end here and we'll see that, of course, as time rolls forward. But Man, they, they keep pushing E2.0 back and it's been subtle pushes lately. Oh, so it's going to keep being subtle. It's been subtle for the last several years because they had to keep giving you opium. But man, it, you're, you're hearing it across the board, not just us. You're hearing it from um, other people who are observing the market that are genuinely concerned about the future of ETH if they can't deliver on proof of stake. And it's like, how long can you keep hearing someone saying they're going to fix something? They don't. And it continues to be acceptable. So, I think that we all will see in time that a multi-chain future is what we're really going to end up with. But 
again, like you really don't know what's going to happen until you're there at this stage, right? It's just, it's so early. And I think that's why right now is the right time to be making educated guesses based on a lot of fundamental analysis and research into the projects that you actually have interest in, right? That's the big message, especially during a, a bear market, is look for the targets that you wanted to buy during the, during the bull and establish which ones through research are your best options going forward. And that's where you want to be investing right now, especially while the market's down. But that is going to wrap up this week's Aftershock. We appreciate you being here. Um, Richard, we have a ton of great content over on crypto-current.co, including editorial content, but also our interviews, which drop every Monday and Friday on YouTube and on your preferred podcast platform of choice. Who did you speak with this week? Who did you speak with on Monday? And who are you going to be speaking with on Friday? So Monday, uh, we had Sarah Figuera, who is one of the co-founders of GeoJam. Uh, GeoJam uh, is a really cool platform that makes it fun for creators and fans to create together. So you essentially can go on there and like as, a, for example, they did a drop with Mariah Carey. And if you were to purchase one of these like special one-of-one type of uh, experiences, you got to fly uh, in a commercial jet with her uh, to I think the release of um, one of her like new singles or something like that, like a really cool like straightaway experience. So what you're able to do is connect even closer with your uh, different communities and and really listen to them and provide these unique experiences that they're requesting. And then Friday we have uh, Karim Kea, who is um, the CEO of First Batch, and he is one of the first people doing proof of interest protocol. And what they are doing, if you've heard of like Soul Bond NFTs, they are uh, in the process of creating these and having it basically be a way that your digital avatar that it becomes like a representation of you online that like kind of follows across interoperable to all of these different uh, metaverses that you go into. So another really cool one to check out. I think that's one of the most in, in, interesting things about where we are in the market right now. None of these products are stopping. None of them are just like, well, we're in a bear market, time to stop. It, they are in full build mode. And for everybody at home, that is truly a reason to never miss a single one of these interviews over here at Cryptocurrent. We're connecting you with the thought leaders who are truly shaping the future of Web3. And we hope that you'll come back and join us next Wednesday to get connected with what's going on in the world of Web3 here at the Aftershock. But I've been Stephen Miller. You can follow me over on Twitter at Steve Miller underscore PHX. He's been Richard Carthon. You can follow him at Richard Carthon on Twitter. But we will see you next week for another edition of the Aftershock. We hope you have a great week and we hope you stay cryptocurrent. Catch you later. Bye.